One reason I like to preach through books is because uh, one of them is kind of selfish. It lets me know what I'm going to preach next week. When, I, when you preach one, leave off at one verse to pick up with the next one the next week. But the last few weeks we've been kind of whatever the Lord's laid on my heart. That's what I preached. And as the week went along this week, usually by Thursday or Friday, I have next week's sermon in mind already, but when I got to Wednesday or Thursday of this week, the Lord really hadn't laid anything. I'm thinking, okay, Lord, you need to come along now so I can sort of know what uh, I need to study. We have a message we have to, to give on, on Sunday, and so Friday on the way to work, I made the, I say it's a mistake to turn on the news. I rarely listen to the news, but I noticed it was the top of the hour, and I thought, well, I'll get the news update. And when I got that news update, I, they gave several different stories about Trump and about Biden and about climate change and about the economy and about the climate. I'll sum it up for you like this. We're all either going to get indicted, we're going to be invaded, we're going to go broke, we're going to burn up, we're going to freeze, we're going to die, or worse. And the theme of all of those headlines, and I, I couldn't help but think of it, and I, and I say it was a mistake, but it was a God thing, because it, it really laid on my heart what I wanted to, I wrote Padrons on it this week, and I, what I also want to preach about today is, we live in a world that is pushing and peddling fear. Uh, whatever it is, if you're on one side, be afraid of the other side. If you're on this side, be afraid of that side. If, if you're in this country, be afraid of that country. Be afraid the world's get, the earth's getting too hot. Be afraid the earth's getting too cold. Be afraid that your money isn't secure. Be afraid that your job isn't secure. Be afraid that your relationships aren't secure. Because if the world can make us afraid, then the world can manipulate us into doing things that they want us to do. Because they'll say, I have the answer for your fear. Well, in our lesson today, in our text today, 2 Kings chapter 6, let's start reading in verse 8. 2 Kings 6, verse 8. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who was in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is that I may send and get it. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, 
And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So it was that when they had come to Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and there they were inside Samaria. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you've taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them, and after they ate and drank, he sent them away. And they went to their master, so the bands of Assyrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. So what we have is a small war going on, and the king of Syria, he would plan to attack Israel at certain places, and through the prophet Elijah, God would tell the king where the Syrian army, exactly where they're going to be. So when the Syrian army showed up, Israel wasn't there. They were gone. They were safe. And so it got to the point where the king of Syria said, something's going on, and so he calls a committee meeting. He calls a staff meeting, and he says, one of y'all is a traitor. One of y'all is telling Israel exactly what I'm doing, and, and we're going to find out which one of it is. Which one of you is secretly on Israel's side? And... One of them says, King, it's not us. There's this guy in Israel. His name's Elijah, and Elijah, God tells him, this, God tells Elijah what you say in your bedroom. In other words, there's somebody watching you. It's God, and Elijah tells Israel what you're going to do, and so you're never going to defeat Israel. So the king says, I tell you what, you find out where this guy is, because I need to go get him. So they find where Elisha is. They come back and tell the king. They, they say he is in Dothan. That's not Dothan, Alabama. That's uh, Dothan in Israel. And the king sends like a gazillion man force to go get Elisha, to go after him, a hit squad, basically, in our language today. 
Well, when the servant of Elisha goes out of the house early in the morning, he sees this army. And he comes back inside. He says, oh my goodness, there are so many of them. What in the world are we going to do? And Elisha says, don't worry. Don't worry. However many they have, the one that's for us has more than them. And so that made that servant give one of those looks. You know, you can tell when you're preaching or teaching if people don't get it. You'll see noses start to scrunch up and people start going, huh? Like I, I put in our ponderings, it was one of those, what you talking about, Willis, <laughs> moments. And y'all old folks know who that is. If, you, if you're too young for that, ask your parents about different strokes. Yeah. What are you talking about, Willis? What do you mean there's more of them than us? He, he sees all these folks around him, the army, and he, he's inside the house and he's going, one, two. And no matter whether you use old math or new math or intermediate math, that math doesn't make sense to Elisha's servant. So Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes so that he might see. And God allows the servant of Elisha's eyes to be opened. And, and when he looks out the window, he sees the armies of God in chariots of fire surrounding them all around them. And he understood exactly what Elijah was talking about. So Elisha meets the leader of this hit squad, and, and, and he first he calls down God, he says, God, blind them. And so God calls the Syrians to go blind. And Elisha comes out and he said, y'all don't worry. He probably didn't say y'all. But he said, y'all don't worry. I'll, uh, I'll take you to the guy you need to see. Trust me. And so they follow Elisha. And then Elisha gets them where he wants them. And Elisha says, Lord, open their eyes so that they may see. And the Syrians opened their eyes, and lo and behold, they're right in the middle of Samaria. They're right in the enemy camp. And the king of Israel, he's, he's yeah, can, can I kill him? Can I, let, let me kill him. Can I, please, can I kill him? And Elijah says, don't kill them. Give them something to eat and give them something to drink and let them go home. And so the king does that, and the very last phrase of verse 23 says, the bands of Syria didn't come to Israel anymore. So, as we look at this story, what are those applications for us? Because I believe some 3,000 years later, we can learn a lot from this lesson today. So the first application is this. And can I say the first application is these applications are for Christ followers. They are not for the world. They're for Christ followers, those who have made peace with God. Everybody in the world is not God's friend. 
God is not at peace with everybody. John chapter 3, we know verse 16 where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A lot of times folks stop reading there. If you go down to verse 18, that verse says that if you believe in God, you're saved. But if you don't believe, you're condemned already. There are people in this world, if they haven't made arrangements to make peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, they are still God's enemy. Most of them don't realize that. If you were to ask a non-Christian, a lost person, are you God's enemy, they would be offended if you said they were. Well, no, I'm not God's enemy. I don't have anything against God. I, I, God says if you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior and come to know me and have a relationship with me through Jesus, you are condemned. So these applications we're making are for Christ followers. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, maybe you're thinking about it or maybe you, you've never thought about it, but you're here and because you, you, here you are, I've got something to say to you at the end of this message, so hang on and listen while we're at it. But there's some applications I want to make to Christ followers this morning. First of all, we are always going to have our bands of raiders. As Christian people, as Christ followers, Peter calls them fiery darts. There are going to be things that happen to us that are unpleasant. Uh, you may have a boss that's difficult to work with. You might have a neighbor that's hard to get along with. Your, uh, your riding mower may break, or the element in your oven might go out. I'm speaking from experience with that one. We had biscuits this morning. We had to get a new stove, and it was so good to have biscuits this morning. <laughs> but the element in the oven go, and it's aggravating to not have an oven. What do you want to have for pizza? Or what do you want for supper tonight? Let's just throw in a pizza. Well, you have no oven to fix it. Let's have just a pot of beans and cornbread. There's no oven to put you know, So it's a pain. We are always going to have those things. And I found the older you get, when you wake up and you stand up and you first start putting your weight on your feet, it's like, what's going to hurt today? You know, what, what, what pain are we going through today? My hands, my feet, my knees, my, all the... We're going to have those... There are always going to be those bands of raiders. We might as well get used to it. I wish I could tell you that once you trust Jesus as your Savior... Everything will be fine. You'll never have any problems. You're going to be rich. You're going to be healthy. Your neighbors are going to be wonderful. Your wife's going to be beautiful. Your husband's going to be handsome. They're going to be smart. They're never going to get sick. Your kids are going to make the honor roll. They'll be doctors and lawyers. Everything will be fine. If I told you that, I'd be lying. And if a preacher tells you that, run. Run as fast as you can the other way because... We're going to have those fiery darts. They're going to happen to us. Those bands of raiders, they cause pain. They cause fear. They cause confusion. And they cause a lot of problems. But secondly, while we have 
these fiery darts or these bands of raiders. Understand that if you're a Christ follower, God is always at work behind the scenes. Even though we have these fiery darts that hit us, and even though we uh, have these troubles and these trials and, and these different things, God is always at work behind the scenes. The king of Syria thought that his enemy was Israel. What he didn't know was God was working against him. And can I remind you as a Christ follower, Christ, or that God is always for you. God is always working for us. He's always taking the things the enemy means for bad, and he's making it good. Romans 8.28 says, And we know, all, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who were called according to his purpose. And can I remind you that while the darts, Satan's fiery darts, those band of raiders, they keep coming. And if they're not coming at you now, they will. Maybe you just got over facing a fiery dart. Hang on, another one's coming. But can I tell you to take heart because God's working all this stuff out for your good and for my good? We might not see it. But God is working behind the scenes to help us. Don't think you're alone. Wednesday I was recovering from all those procedures that they did Tuesday. When I went to the doctor in the hospital Tuesday, the, my urologist came in the prep, surgery prep room, she says, so what are we doing today? I said, if you don't know what we're doing today, that means we're all in trouble. I said, all I know is we're doing a bunch of oscopies. And she said, you're exactly right. She goes, which side are you, we working on? And I said, my right side. And she wrote her initials on my right hand. I said, why'd you do that? She said, well, you wouldn't want us to do it on the wrong side, would you? That kind of didn't do a whole lot for my comment. I understand why they do that, to make sure everybody's on the same page. I don't want to be like the guy that the urologist comes out and tells a fellow, we got good news and bad news. He said, well, he says, I'm a pessimist, so what's the bad news? He says, the bad news is we took out the wrong kidney. He said, well, what in the world's the good news? He says, the good news is we don't have to take your kidney out after all. So I didn't want to be there. But on Wednesday, I was recovering from all this. And by the way, everything went fine. They knew exactly what they were doing. The doctor comes in with the, the anesthesia guy comes in. I said, you're in charge of the happy medicine, right? And uh, he said, yes. I said, I hope you have, have a wonderful day. For the I'm going to be nice to you. And he says, well, I appreciate that. He goes, I'm going to give you a little bit of medicine to help you uh, relax. And so he gave it to me and I didn't feel anything. I said, well, how long does it take for this stuff to start working? And he said, are you feeling it yet? And I, I really, I can see why people like that stuff. You know, because you kind of start floating and everything's, hey, it's pretty good. He goes, you're going to be asleep before they ever take you out of this room. Next thing I knew, I was waking up and the nurse was saying, how are you? And so everything went fine. 
But Tuesday or Wednesday, I was home with my mother-in-law. We were sitting watching TV. And out of the clear blue, she said, you know, the Bible says that Jesus will never forget us or he'll never forsake us. And I said, Miss Cozy, you are exactly right. So when you're going through your fiery trials, remember you're not alone. You may not always see him, you may not always feel him, but you got Jesus. And another application is this, the third one. Sometimes the enemy sends the big guns. Sometimes the enemy sends in the artillery. And that's what the enemy does in our story today. He sends a military force after Elisha to the point where Elisha's servant is overwhelmed to the point where he says, Master, what are we going to do? I don't know what to do. Remember Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat? He was surrounded by a bunch of different enemies. Several kings had come together to do battle against him. There were a lot more of them than there were uh, his people. And so Jehoshaphat says, Lord, we don't know what to do. This battle is yours. Sometimes we have those little fiery darts, a sore toe element broken in the oven. A belt snaps on your riding board. The battery on your car dies. They're aggravating. But sometimes the enemy sends in the big guns. And your spouse gives you divorce papers. Your kids run away. Your boss hands you a pink slip. The doctor says, I've got bad news. And we get overwhelmed. And sometimes, like Job, the bad news keeps coming. Bad news turns into worse news and into worse news. Because sometimes we get to the point where we say, man, what in the world, what is it I'm going to do? What do we need to do? Where do we go next? Where do I turn? The next application is a way of reminder no matter how big the enemy's gun is, God's gun is bigger. No matter how big the enemy's gun is, God's gun is always bigger. Y'all, we have the creator of the universe on our side. This God took nothing and created everything. This God said, let there be light, and there was light. This God divided the Red Sea so that the children of Israel could walk right through it on dry land. This God provided food every day for upwards of 2 million people for 40 years. During those 40 years, this God kept the Israelites' clothes from wearing out. Our God came into the most fortified city of Canaan and his battle plan was to walk around the walls of Jericho, blow a trumpet, and shout. They don't study those battle plans at West Point. 
when I was studying to be a band director, I've heard bad trumpet playing in my life. There's nothing quite like trying to teach a bunch of the first few weeks of elementary band is an experience that you'll never forget. But I've never heard trumpet playing so bad or so good. Or, and I've heard some pretty loud trumpet playing, but I've never heard any that knocked walls down. But our God flattened the walls of Jericho. Our God healed the sick. Our God raises the dead. Our God creates everything. Think about this. Our God created the enemy that's coming against us. Satan may be a lion, but he's God's lion. He's on God's leash. No matter how big the enemy's gun is, no matter the big gun that the enemy sends for you, God's gun is bigger. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? If God's on our side, who in the world can be against us? But you know, sometimes we need help seeing where God is working. So when Elisha's servant came in and he tells Elisha, Elisha, we're in a heap of trouble. There's a bunch of them and just two of us. Elisha says, the ones that are for us is more than the ones that's against us. Elisha gives him, Elisha's servant gives him that funny look. Elisha prays for his servant to be able to see. And his servant opens his eyes and he sees the armies of God and the chariots of fire all around them. And he knew everything was going to be okay. Can I tell you, sometimes we need a little help seeing where God's working. And when we get overwhelmed, when we get where we don't know what to do next, can I say it's okay to pray that God would show you where he's working? So you can see where God's working, so you can join him in that work. And it's also okay... Brother Mike's getting ready to go through a big deal on Tuesday. I'm going to get all the results of all those oscopies on Tuesday. It's okay to pray for us so that we might see where God's working in our life. Elisha knew his servant couldn't see it, so God prayed for him that he might see. That, Elisha, that, that Elisha's servant might have the blindness removed. This tells me it's okay for us to pray for each other. I pray for you guys daily. Pray for me. Not just because of all of this, but because I'm your pastor. And I need your prayers. Often, God's work is supernatural. To the human eye, these fiery, God's army was invisible. A lot of the work that God does is supernatural. There was a deacon in First Baptist Pinewood on Friday. He went to the doctor and he was having headaches. And the doctor took a CAT scan of his head and he says, you have a brain tumor. He said, I'm pretty sure the size of it is cancerous. He said, I'm sending you to the oncologist on 
Monday morning and he said, you need to go. You need to go as soon as you can get there. Well, that, set, that Sunday he told us about that at church and we called him forward and uh, the church came around him. We laid our hands on him. We prayed for him. And that Monday they did another scan and the oncologist says, I don't know what happened, but you don't have a tumor. There's not a tumor that's there. And Brother West said, I know exactly what happened. I, he says, I serve a big God. Sometimes God's work is supernatural. Sometimes things happen and all you can say is that that's God. There are some things you think, well, that might have been God. But those fiery chariots, that, that, that's God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principles, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 6 and verse 12. There's so much that goes on in our lives that most of us will never see it unless God shows us. And can I tell you this, just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. Just because you may not see where God is working in your life doesn't mean God's not working in your life. So much of his work is supernatural. And we'll never see it. And a lot of times when people preach this message, they stop right here. But I think there's a good message on the back side of this as well. So when uh, Israel or Elisha calls out to God to blind the enemy, and the enemy blinds them and takes them to Samaria, there's another application that we need to remember, that those coming against us, they're blind too. You ever thought about that? Those coming against us, the soldiers of Satan, they've been blinded. They can't see. Just like Elisha calls down blindness on them, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. Our enemies are blind. We need to remember, y'all, those that persecute us, those that stand on TV and, and condemn Christianity, and, and they're not our enemy. Satan is our enemy. We need to keep our enemy straight. There's a war going on between Satan and God in the heavenlies. Between God's angels and Satan's demons in a realm that we'll never see. But it spills over into our world. When Daniel prayed that God would explain to him the vision he saw, God sent the angel, archangel Gabriel, to explain it to him. And it took like 21 days for the angel to get there he, because he, the angel tells Gabriel, or, or Gabriel tells Daniel, God sent me as soon as you made that prayer, but he says, I was stopped by the prince of Persia, and that's symbolic for Satan. 
at his enemies. He says, I've been doing battle with them for the last 21 days. It took me a minute to get here. There's way more going on in this battle than we realize. Our enemies were blinded too. And a lot of times, the one that we think is our enemy is not our enemy. They've been blinded. This world is not our enemy. Satan is. That leads me to the next thing. We need to pray for our enemies. Elisha gets his enemies into Samaria, and he says, Lord, remove their blindness. We need to pray for those that are lost that God would remove whatever it is that's blinding them from seeing God and the work that God is doing for his people and wants to do for them. Satan's blinded them to that. And we need to pray for them. Instead of criticizing our leaders, what if we prayed for them? Instead of criticizing our enemies, what if we prayed for them? It's hard to criticize somebody you're praying for, amen? We need to learn to pray for our enemies. And while praying for our enemies seems to be counterproductive, Marie and I and Miss Cozy watched a Western last night, Angel and the Bad Man. And originally that was a 1943 Western with John Wayne. John Wayne plays the bad man. But in this one, this was the 2000-something remake, and Lou Diamond Phillips is the bad guy. He's a bad gunslinger, and he's, uh, he, he, he's the bad guy, but he gets shot, and he's taken in by this Quaker family. And he falls in love with the girl. You can see it. It's a Hallmark movie, so you can see it coming. You know they're going to fall in love with each other. But uh, the enemies of the Quakers come to them, and Lou Diamond Phillips gets his gun. That's his answer to solve everything, is his gun. And uh, the girl says, no, we're going to pray for him. And Lou Diamond Phillips kind of gave that same, what you talking about, Willis, look to her. Sometimes when we say pray for our enemies, it seems counterproductive. But did you know that's what Jesus called for us to do? In Matthew 5, Jesus says, pray for those that persecute you. Pray for them. Pray that God will remove their blindness so that they can make peace for him. But every fiber of our being might be to call down fire from heaven on our enemies. The best thing we can do for them is to pray that God might remove their blindness so that they might see. And then the craziest thing happens at the end of this story. The enemy's eyes are open. They're at the mercy of the king. The king says, can I kill him? Can I kill him? Elisha says, give him something to eat. Give him something to drink so they can go home. Not only do we need to pray for our enemies, we need to be kind to them. I'm not going to tell you how the conclusion of that movie comes out. But all through this movie, the Quakers try to teach Lou Diamond Phillips that even though bad people may do bad things to us, that it's really them that are hurting more than us. Uh, she said, uh, if 
someone shoots you, it does more damage to them than it does you. And he said, well, it's not going to do me a whole lot of good, I'll tell you that. But you know what? She's exactly right. Because as Christ followers, and this, this sounds weird to non-Christians. If, if you're not a Christ follower, I know this is going to sound crazy. Y'all, if we're Christ followers, the only thing the world can do is kill us. And if they do, we're going home. Be kind to your enemies. Well, why be kind to your enemies? The last phrase of this passage in verse 23, after they're kind to the enemies, it said, so the bands of Syrians didn't come to Israel anymore. It stopped the raids of the Syrians. When we're kind to our enemies, the mayor of the town wanted to run the Quakers out of town. But the mother, Quaker mother, sees this guy's got a big boil on his neck. And uh, she goes, I bet that hurts. And he said, it hurts something awful. I've tried everything. She says, let me help you. And she, she lanced it and fixed it up with it and gave him a blueberry pie. And the mayor said, you know what? He said, I don't need all that rent money I'm charging you. I don't have anything against you guys. Y'all are welcome here. Welcome to bring your friends. You're welcome. Who knows what our enemies might do if we're kind to them. So many times. Our first inclination when the enemy fires his shot is to fire back. Just because someone gives us a baited hook does not mean we have to bite it. <coughs> Be kind to your enemies. And I know that's hard. It's hard for me. It's, a hard, it's easy to preach it. It's hard to live it. It's hard for all of us. But can I say this? What a mighty God we serve. I want to ask you a question. Have you made peace with this God? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never come to the place in your life where you have said, I, I believe that Jesus is God. He's God's son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he took my sins on the cross and he gives me his righteousness. And, and I know I can't save myself. But this moment I'm repenting from running from God. And I'm going to run to God. I'm going to trust Jesus as my Savior. I'm going to give my life to him. And I'm going to start living for him. And Romans 5 tells us when we've been justified, that's what that is, means being made right. When we've been justified, we have peace with God. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are justified, those who've made peace with God. Maybe you've done that and Satan's fiery darts have just come upon you over and over and over. Maybe Satan has sent his big guns after you. And I encourage you this morning to turn it over to him. Let him have it. Know that God is working in your life. Brother Ed, if you'll come up.
will do amazing grace.